just deciding how much of it to read, because I'd really like to read you the whole of Mark chapter 1. Um, but it is a bit chilly to sit. Um, uh, but it's actually re- all really important stuff. Um, I'll tell you what. Let's go to verse 21. And uh, uh, we've got the first chunk of Mark chapter 1 talks about John the Baptist, who's preparing the way. A real sense of God's time has come. Uh, then you've got the baptism of Jesus and Jesus being sent out into the desert for 40 days where he's tempted, where the Holy Spirit and God's angels um, comfort him and encourage him and uh, help him to walk with God. Then you've got the calling of the first disciples and Jesus in verse 15 says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. And uh, he calls his first disciples and then uh, verse 21, they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed and they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching? And with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases and drove out many demons, but he wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for uh, walking amongst us in the person of Jesus. And we pray that we would see how he lived, listen to his words, and be transformed by his spirit as we hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. So over these few weeks, we're focusing in on a whole series of um, themes or topics that we've given this sort of uh, rough title to, Jesus and Real Life. And uh, we've talked about Jesus and work, Jesus and ambition, Uh, We've talked about Jesus and shopping, um, and uh, uh, we've talked about, um, do you know, I've forgotten, what did I preach on last week? None of you remember either, do you? It's not a trick question, my mind's got a complete blank. Can you just scrub this from the recording, because that's far too embarrassing. No, no, that was the the week before. If it comes to you at any point, it's clearly my sermons are so memorable. Anybody remember? Children, thank you. Rachel, you have got the gold star of all gold stars. That's fantastic. Jesus and children. I'll tell you why I blanked, because I was always going to preach on Jesus and family, and I knew that I hadn't preached on Jesus and family. Anyway, <laughs> good. Test, test me next week and see if I remember what I preached on this week. That's quite important. Okay. Um, I expect to see you all taking notes from now on. Um, Mark, Mark's gospel, is a gospel full of, you might think, busyness and rush. Uh, he's, the, he's often been described as the sort of tabloid of the gospel writers. 
Uh, there's no extraneous um, uh, f- sentences. There's no beating around the bush. It's all very direct, short sentences. There's lots of and immediately, and then, and suddenly. And I wanted to explore a little bit about what Jesus had to say about time. Because it seems to me that in the culture in which we live, time splits us into two extremes, for the most part. There are many of us, and maybe it's in the majority in sort of this part of West London, for whom time uh, is at a premium. We have too little of it. Uh, A quick um, search on Amazon. Uh, for, um, there are other booksellers, Um, a quick uh, search on Amazon for books about time management brings up 2,796 books just in the personal time management section, let alone the business time management section. It's all how can I get more of it, how can I make the most of it, how can I do more, achieve more, be more, how can I balance it, how can I survive it. Time is something that we feel we don't have enough of. And yet, actually, equally in our society, there are many for whom there is simply not enough. Uh, There is simply too much time. Those, perhaps, uh, who are um, on their own and not working. Those who are stuck indoors because they're unwell. Uh, Those who feel that they don't have enough to do or people to spend time with. Those for whom loneliness is the key feature of daily life and the sense of not being needed rather than being needed too much with too little time. But actually, it doesn't really matter which angle you look at it for. Whether you've got too much time or too little, whether you feel pressured by the ticking minutes or or somehow cowered by just how many seconds there are in a day, in the end, the question of time, how do we feel about it, what do we do with it, is such a significant issue in every person's life. So I wanted to simply ask the question, what does Jesus have to say about time. And Mark chapter 1 is a great place to start, not because Jesus there teaches us a definitive God's eye view of time. As we've been saying in every single sermon, Jesus doesn't answer our questions most of the time. We come to the Bible and we say, Jesus, tell me about this. And Jesus tells us about something different. Because actually Jesus wasn't going through a list of the things that in the 21st century we'd want to know about. Jesus was living and speaking as God walking amongst us at a particular time in a particular place. 2,000 years ago in Palestine, uh, in the the Mediterranean, um, uh, early first century, he was speaking to the needs of that day and the questions of that day. But as we listen in and as we see Jesus live, we get to have an inside track on how God views us and his world. And we can use those principles to start to answer the questions you and I have, including this question of time. And what strikes me about the... uh, chapter 1 of Mark, is simply how many references there are and how many clues we get to how Jesus interacts with not a ticking watch, because of course there was no such thing in those days, but with the passing of time. For a start, it's clear that Jesus had an acute sense of that moment the, Bible had, the New Testament Greek has two different words for time. One of them means the sort of time that passes. The other sort of time is the word that you use for that moment. You know, it's time. It's now. And Jesus clearly has a very acute sense of that. Um, Mark wants to put that across in verse 9. At that time, not just at any old time, but at that time when John the Baptist was here, when John the Baptist had prepared the way. Verse 12. At once, the Spirit sent Jesus out. 
Most of all, verse 15, when Jesus says, the time has come. It's now. This is not just any old time, it's now. There is that moment when God does something different and new and special. And yet it's also very clear that Jesus has incredible patience. As far as we can tell, Jesus didn't start any sort of public ministry until he was 30. And then he only had three years in which to do and say and to be all that he did and said and was. And yet he's able to be incredibly patient. We see um, that the Spirit sending him out in verse 12 into the desert for 40 days. Now, 40 days doesn't sound very much, but it's more than 10% of a whole year, and he only had three of them. So he spends 10% of one of his three years in the desert with no one. And yet he'd come to preach and teach and heal and cast out demons and to set people free. He was patient. He was patient. It was also clear yet that he was prepared to work hard to make the most of time. Verse 32, he's already had a long day of teaching and of healing. Um, And then um, here in verse 32, it says, That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. They were crowded outside his door. Now, at that time in that culture, you didn't have street lights. You didn't have, clearly, electrical or gas lighting. You had little lanterns. People didn't do a lot at night. Pretty unusual for stuff to be going on in the evenings. For people to be crowding outside your door in the evening, you would be perfectly allowed to say, I'm done here. I've had a long day. Come back tomorrow. No. Jesus goes and heals them. He was prepared to work hard. He makes the most of each minute that comes. And yet, at the same time, verse 35 tells us that early the next morning, he's up and he's out and he's off to a lonely place. And again and again, in all the Gospels, every single one of the Gospel writers, whatever their particular angle on Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every one of them says, Jesus spends time alone in lonely places to pray and to think and to plan. You know, overall, it seems to me that Jesus had an incredibly healthy view of time. He seems neither cowered by it or frightened by it or ruled by it. He doesn't seem rushed. He can spend time with people that the rest of society thought were completely irrelevant. There's one point where he is rushing to see somebody who is on the point of death and actually is about to die. And a woman who was at the very bottom of society comes and touches his cloak and is healed and Jesus still stops and spends precious minutes with her. He's never in a rush, seeming. And yet, he doesn't waste time. How is it that Jesus has such an incredibly healthy, mature view of time? Because I don't. Our culture doesn't. Well, I think there's a clue right in the middle of Mark chapter 1. And it's one that I just want to spend a few minutes talking about. And it's the idea of Sabbath. Uh, It's there um, in verse 21. It's the first hint. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. Right the way through the Gospels, we see that Jesus' life had that weekly rhythm. He was never away from the synagogue, the place of worship, on the Sabbath. And yet, again, he doesn't seem ruled by it. The Sabbath in those days was very strict for Jewish people, and it is for some Jews today. 
from sundown, sunset on the Friday, to sunset on the Saturday, no work was to be done. And depending on how strict you were, that could be interpreted in very, very harsh ways. It could be that you weren't allowed to walk more than a few yards. You weren't allowed to cook for some people. You weren't allowed to go out into the fields and, and glean corn. You weren't allowed to go and earn your living. It was meant to be a day of complete rest. And yet, even though Jesus respects it, he's not ruled by it. Look at the end of um, chapter 2. Just over the page, page 1004. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of the corn, and the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus tells them the story of how King David um, uh, goes on the Sabbath and, and gets food. Because he said, look, if we're hungry, God expects us to eat. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is a gift, not to rule over us, but to look after us. So what is the Sabbath for, and how does it speak into our understanding of time? How did it shape Jesus' mature and healthy view of the minutes and days that tick by? Well, we read of the Sabbath in the Ten Commandments. It's one of those commandments. Keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. It was meant to be a day in the week that was different. A day in the week where from sundown to sundown, you lived a different sort of life at a different pace, not working, not earning money. And it seems to me that there's at least three ways in which that Old Testament, and now we see New Testament view of Sabbath, It should inform, and I think for Jesus did inform, our view of time. The first is, the Sabbath is meant to remind us, not simply that one day is holy, but that all time is holy. Now, that's the way that all sorts of things work in the Old Testament. Uh, Again and again, you have this pattern where God instructs his people to take one portion of something, set it apart, in order to remind them that the rest is also holy. So you have it with the tithe. The tithe was meant to be that point at which, and particularly if you're a farmer, you took the first fruits of your crop. Often there's a 10% figure, the one in 10. You took those first fruits and you brought them to the Lord, to the temple, and you offered them up. You gave them away. And the reason you did it was to remind you that all of it was holy. All of it belongs to God. Not that this is God's bit, this is my bit, but I give this away to remind me that it all belongs to God. It was the same about the firstborn um, in the family. The firstborn was specially dedicated to God, but that wasn't because he didn't care about the rest of your kids. It was to remind you that all of your children belong to God. And it was the same with the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given to remind God's people that every day of the week, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Sunday, It's Friday and Saturday, you know what I'm saying. Belong to him. All time is holy. All time is precious. Every second, every minute, every day, every year is precious because it is God's. Holy, that's what the word holy fundamentally means. It means God's, belonging to God, set apart for God. Jesus knew that every moment of his life was precious. And so he made the most of every opportunity, made the most of every moment. It doesn't mean that he was so intense he could never have fun. It's really important to get that in the Gospels. Jesus goes to parties. He goes to celebrations. 
He, he relaxes with his disciples. He, he enjoys just being with people. But he doesn't waste time with a view that thinks this moment doesn't matter. Every moment matters because every moment is holy. It's got an interesting um, challenge for us, doesn't it? I think all th- three of these do, about how we think about Sabbath. Our pattern of society has changed so much that it is almost impossible for any of us to take a single day in the week and treat it in the same way that maybe 2,000 years ago Jesus could. Patterns have changed so much. Patterns of our kids' activities, patterns of shopping, patterns of our work, email and texts. Everything happens all the time. The question is, if we lose this notion of a day that is different, the danger is that we lose the sense that every day is God's. So that's the first thing. The Sabbath reminded Jesus, and it should remind us, that every moment, every day is holy, precious to God. So we don't waste it. But the second thing that the Sabbath did was that because the focus of the Sabbath was worship, it reminded God's people, it reminded Jesus that time is a gift from God to us, to which we should respond with worship. Everything in the Bible is response. That's what grace means. Grace is God makes the first move. He gives to us. Worship is our response. That's how the, the, the whole of life is meant to work. God's grace, our worship response. Time is part of that. Time is, in the Bible, always seen as a gift that God gives us. The days allotted to me, says the psalmist. This day is given to me. This day is given to you. A gift from God for you. Unique. Never been seen before. Never been pre-used, pre-owned, pre-tried out. Fresh. This moment, this day, this week, this month, this year, is absolutely new. A gift from God to you. And the Sabbath was there to remind us that the response is meant to be gratitude and worship. So one of the things that we gather together for on a Sunday is to worship in response to God's gift of time. And by the way that we do it is to take some time out. That's actually why being in church together is so important. Not not because it bumps our you know, attendance figures. But because actually for you and for me, by deliberately saying, there are a thousand one things that I could do today, I choose to give this hour and a half, this two hours in worship to God. It's my way, partly, of saying thank you to God for the gift of the rest of the week. The Sabbath reminds us that every moment is precious, belongs to God. The Sabbath reminds us that every moment is a gift. But finally, The Sabbath reminds us of something quite different, but perhaps most important in our particular society. Because on the Sabbath you simply couldn't do anything, it was a great reminder that quite um, far from God needing us to do his work, we need See, part of the pressure on us from um, our jobs, from our culture, 
from the frenetic pace of our society, particularly if you're one of those who feel you never have enough time, is that sense of, if I stop, the world will fall apart. Now, we may never quite put it like that, I hope. But we certainly feel like if I stop, if I take a step back, something will fall apart. My family, my job, my friendships. It is incredibly significant, I think, that the Sabbath began not at sunrise, but at sunset. The Sabbath begins just as I would be going to sleep, just at that moment of most vulnerability, where I can do least of all in my life when I'm asleep. And the psalmist always keeps reminding you, you know what? God never sleeps. You are allowed to go to sleep because God doesn't. You are allowed to take time off because God doesn't. God doesn't need you, but he loves you. God doesn't rely on you in the sense that if you pause for a moment to take breath or to sleep, the world will fall apart. But God does choose to use you in his purposes. Two completely different perspectives. And actually the discipline of not doing something, which is so hard, I find it so hard, to step back, is the discipline of saying, I can't, but God always can. One of my favourite phrases, um, and one or two here will either grimace or laugh at me as I say it, which I have to keep reminding myself of, is sometimes you have to let those spinning plates smash. Just to be reminded that actually you cannot do it all. But God is far bigger. The arrogance that says, I have simply got to keep going, because actually it all relies on me, and God goes, go to sleep. There's a couple of wonderful bits in the Old Testament and New where God tells followers of his who are at their wit's end, who are incredibly stressed, who go, I can't do it all. And God doesn't say, try harder, work more, fill more hours of your day. He says, go to sleep. Jesus was able, in these precious, tiny three years, he only had three years, a thousand days, he was able to take 40 days in the desert doing nothing productive, useful, on his to-do list. He was able to take precious hours away from the crowds of people, all of whom really needed him. That wasn't a, a need that was sort of made up. It was a real need. He was able to spend precious hours with people who, in one sense, didn't matter. They weren't leaders, they weren't high flyers, they weren't influencers, they weren't the key people in society. They were the down and outs, they were the uneducated, they were the out of view. He was able to do all of that because he knew that that's not what it was about. The Sabbath reminds us that every moment of every day belongs to God. The Sabbath reminds us that every moment of every day is a gift that we're to worship him and to be grateful for. And the Sabbath reminds us, as it did Jesus, that it's not about us having to do everything for God, but God doing everything for us and including us in what he's doing. Even for Jesus, it wasn't about could he fill every second of every 24 hours of every day with stuff. It was about his relationship with his heavenly father. Now, the question that I've got for me, and my question for you, genuinely a question for us together, and this is 
I'm not going to tell you what the answer is because we've got to work it out for ourselves, is how do we live out a Sabbath-shaped life within our particular life, culture, demands, family, job? It's a non-negotiable. We have to find some way of doing it. It is far too important in terms of how it shapes our view of time, in terms of the health implications it has for our sanity and for our physical bodies and for our family lives and our relationships and our jobs, actually. It is far too important to say, I can't do it. But how you do it, how you find a portion of every week that will be different, that you and I have got to work out for ourselves. It might at least involve making sure that every week we find a way of carving out time for worship. It might involve every week having a day that feels different within the pattern of our family life. It might be a day when the kids don't do any homework and you aim not to do any... You see, I even put in that little word, aim. I was trying to help us out there, where you don't do any career work. It might be a day when you don't go shopping. It it might be a day when uh, you don't, um, you know, check your email. Do you see me twitching slightly there? That's not what I do. Start somewhere. Start with something little. Start with something that just says, I'm determined to do this differently. I'm going to tell you one thing, then we'll finish, then we're going to worship. Uh, really, uh, just as an example, I'm not telling you this is the only, this is the thing to do. I'm certainly not holding myself up as a great example of this. For me, the most important thing I ever did was in my four years as a student, and where I decided that on Sundays I wouldn't do any work. Now that was incredibly countercultural at the time because actually um, Sundays was the day before Monday, as it still is, um, and uh, Mondays was usually deadline for work. And therefore, actually, it involved some planning, which many of you will know I'm not great at. Um, and it involved being able to say, do you know, there are some things more important than my university work. There are some things more important. And even coming up to my finals, I would take a day a week when I didn't revise. Now, I'm genuinely not saying that's the only way to do it. And I'm not telling you that was the right thing. But for me, that was my way of drawing a line in the sand and saying, I want to do this differently. I want to choose to be different. With my kids... There is one day in the week where we don't do homework. Simply because we're trying to say, not, we're not trying to be legalistic about it, we're simply trying to say, let's find a way of reminding ourselves of all of these things. God is bigger, even than your homework. Especially than your homework. God is bigger than all of it. You may hate those suggestions. Find your own. But let's find a way of making the Sabbath real, because it then has the same impact, could have the same impact on our view of time as Jesus clearly had. Let's pray. Um, John and Mark are going to come up and uh, lead us in some songs by way of uh, a response. Um, we're going to remain seated, at least to start with, um, and I'm, I'm going to pray for us, and then I hope you'll find that you're able to use these songs as, as quite a reflective way of, of thinking about and of reflecting on and of praying through. Maybe what it is God might have to say to you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that in this... 1,000 days to change the world that you had. 
your view of time and of pressure and of getting things done was so incredibly healthy. Thank you for the ways in which you worked incredibly hard and, and, and threw yourself into what you had to do. But thank you too for the ways in which you stood back, stepped back, and observed the Sabbath rest that God had given you. And I want to pray for me. I want to pray for my friends here, that in all of our lives, you would help us to find that Sabbath rest that puts our clocks in perspective and helps us to live healthy lives and sustainable lives and lives that are shaped by you. Let's continue in prayer.